the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. This is Healing the Whole Person on WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio. Call now with your question, 224-585-WSFI. That's 224-585-9734. Hello and welcome to Healing the Whole Person. We have a beautiful, wonderful, holy guest today, Brother Charles Madden, OFM Conventual. And we'd like he'd like to begin the show with a prayer. So, Brother Charles, before I introduce you, let's would you say a prayer? Uh, let's open with a prayer to one of my favorite saints, Saint Michael the Archangel. Let's. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. Rebuke him, O God, we humbly beseech thee, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the divine power, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Amen. Name of the Father, Son of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, brother. That was beautiful. I'm so happy that you're here. We see you at Marytown. You've been there almost 50 years. Yes. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. So, Brother Charles Madden is, um, he has, he was born in Baltimore in 1940, yes. brother, is that right? Yeah. And you were the youngest of 11 children. Right. And um, your parents were kind-hearted, faith-filled people, and they adopted an aunt and uncle who had severe uh, eye issues. Yeah, my issues. mom's oldest brother and sister. Wow. Yeah. So you were 15 in your family. Yeah, we had... Big house, and we had 15 in one bathroom at one point. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I want to hear more about your call to uh, the religious life. Um, in addition to Brother's compelling book on Freemasonry, which we'll discuss a little bit later, you wrote a charming little book filled with family stories called Giving Up Stealing for Lent. You have more books out, too, Brother. Yeah. Um, Let's let's let our introduce you to our readers. Would you tell them a little bit about your growing up and and who you are and whatever led you into becoming a Franciscan? Well, I was, as I said, I'm the youngest of eleven children, and uh, we had a very fortunate upbringing in our family because my parents were very good people. They were faithful Catholics and. But they weren't showy about so much their religion, but they lived out their faith. And I've more, the older I get, the more I appreciate the fact that in the type of the, during the Depression, they were willing to take in my mom's older brother and sister yes. who were blind, and they lived with us for up until the time that each of them died Aunt Mike, as she was, we called her, and my Uncle Jim. Oh. And uh, so we had a family of 15, and. Uh, we all were blessed with a Catholic school education, at least through the first eight grades, anyhow. And then, uh, and we just simply had, as I appreciate today as I get older and older, a solid family life. We had discipline, we had fun, and we had our squabbles, but we also had the love of our parents. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, that was manifested in many ways. I'll give you one quick instance. When my brother was married, and John was married in 1960, we were 
my brother Joe and I were ushers at the wedding. Mm -hmm. And as we were escorting people up the aisle, my parents, of course, they were escorted up the aisle, and there was two elderly women in the back of church. And they, and they, they I heard them say this, well, look, that's the groom's parents. They're 35 years married, and they're still holding hands. <laughs> you know, and I, I saw that all my life. I never appreciated it until those two elderly yes. women, you know. They pointed it out to you. They pointed it out, talking yeah. to themselves, and dummy here finally caught on. It gives you a little taste of what, what your parents were like. That's beautiful. Yeah, you know. Uh, yes. And, and so, when uh, when in your years then did you ever even think of becoming, going into religious life? Well, it was a gradual thing. Uh, when my brother, older brother Pat, joined the OFMs, uh, in 1959, he gave me a book that he had on Our Lady of Fatima. Mm -hmm. I read it. That got me into praying the daily rosary. Yes. About a year later, in 1960, our pastor made a very impassioned plea, uh, plea that year, Monsignor Ells, to please participate in the Immaculate Conception Novena, which was coming up right after Thanksgiving, which I did. And I said I'd go whole hog. What does that mean? That means I would not only go to the novena in the evening, but I also go to Mass Communion every day in the morning. Wow. The grace from that novena was the fact that I was given the grace to decide to go to daily Mass every day. Oh, I love that. And that, that led me right into uh, uh, looking into religious life seven years later. Oh, my. And I actually wrote to Marytown on the vigil, you know, uh, I was accepted into Marytown on the vigil of the Immaculate Conception seven years later. Not an accident. No accident. Not an no. accident. A lady has her ways of doing yes, things. Yes, yes. And I, it was a very sudden thing from the time I I wrote and the time I was accepted. It was about six or seven weeks. I, start, I sent the letter on the Feast of All Souls, and by the Immaculate Conception, I, I had this letter of acceptance. Really? Yeah, and uh, I, I always say, our lady took the jackass, <laughs> stuck him in his stall, put a feed bag over him, and there he was. <laughs> because I wouldn't have done it on my own. Uh-huh. Our Lady led me into it. Of course she did. Looking back, I see that. Of course she did. How beautiful, brother. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And so you've been, have you been at Marytown ever since? Except for three years. I had a year at Novitiate Lake Forest and two years at our, our House of Studies in Chicago. Mm -hmm. But all my religious life has been at Marytown, either in Kenosha or now here in Libertyville. Mm -hmm. uh, and I so you've done an amazing amount of writing. So how did you get started with writing? You, you always loved to write? or Well, I, I, I had a knack for it because our editor of the magazine was Brother Francis Mary, and he'd give me uh, his stuff that he wrote and asked me to clean up the grammar and things <laughs> of that yes. sort. And then he got me to starting to write for the magazine, yes. and I did that for a number of years. And uh, I really enjoyed it, so I wound up uh, doing a lot of writing. And research, just, apparently. Well, yeah, as part of it, you know, mm -hmm. you can't write without doing research sure, of, some, sure. of some sort. And that led me into, uh, well, um, the topic of Freemasonry, which we're going to talk about. Yes, you know. yes. And uh, one of the things at Marytown we've always gotten mail on is why was Maximilian Kobe so concerned about Freemasonry? Yes, yes. You know, and uh, so I decided to do some research. 
and I found out we didn't have a whole lot of information. So one day we had got a bunch of books in and right on the top of a pile was a book which a priest had given to us and it was a book about Freemasonry by a Freemason, Albert Pike, one of the most famous uh, members of Freemasonry in the United States. Heard of him, yes. And I, I went through and I read that and I said, this is what we need to do. Uh, we have to put some kind of thing together. Now I have some material from Masonic sources plus church sources and we can put something together and that's how I began to get involved with uh, writing about Freemasonry and discussing it, things of that sort. And so um, Maximilian was apparently, he attended this Masonic funeral parade in 1917 and where they held up a banner, Satan must reign in the Vatican, the Pope will be his slave. Right. What was going on at that time in 1917 was the 200th anniversary of the more public uh, form of Freemasonry. It right. was founded in 1717. In 1917, they had big celebrations uh, all over the world, and especially in Rome. And in their arrogance, they were showed a banner of St. Michael under the heel of the devil, you know, yeah. and that Satan would rule in the Vatican. And this horrified Maximilian Kolbe, and he decided that he, would, he was inspired to start the Militia Immaculata as a response to uh, what he saw as the dangers of Freemasonry. Isn't that interesting? I, I've, I knew about the militia. I thought it was as a result of his visions of Our Lady uh, giving him two crowns. I thought Well, as a child, that's where he got his future vision of what his future would be, that he would be oh. a martyr of charity, yeah. that he would be, uh, he wanted both to be a martyr and uh, purity. He wanted yes, both the, yes, the two yes, crowns. Yes. But by the time he got to Rome, this is when he ran into the uh, problem of Freemasonry. I and see. And the attacks on the church and things of that sort. That's how he got, uh, he decided, we must do something about this. We must try to convert these people. Yes. And things, you know, and from that, so that's how he, he began to establish the Militia Immaculata for the conversion of Freemasons and other enemies Isn't of the church. Isn't that interesting? And so, uh, from what some, a little bit I've read of his writing in particular, he said, Freemasonry aims to destroy the Catholic religion. Their decrees have spread throughout the world in different disguises, but with the same goal, religious indifference and weakening of moral forces according to their basic principle, we will conquer the Catholic Church not by argumentation, but rather with moral corruption. Correct, and that's exactly the uh, what Pope Leo the Thirteenth warned about. Yes, in his famous encyclical, uh, Humanum Janus, uh, about how society would be slowly undermined if Freemasonry was not effectively countered. And uh, that's anybody who wants to learn anything about Freemasonry, you must go and read Humanum Janus by. Pope Leo XIII. That's really the seminal document. Which, which he wrote in 1884. 1884, right. Um, and, it's, and he said uh, he, uh, they're trying to destroy the very foundations any civil or religious order established throughout Christendom. They're trying to destroy the foundations of any religious orders and bring about in its place a new order founded on laws drawn out of the entrails of naturalism. Right. And... Uh, he specifically pointed out, for instance, uh, 
how they would undermine marriage and education, wow. which we see going on in our country today. Of course. You of know. course. And it's the, it's the fruit. It's the bad fruit of Freemasonry. Yes. Uh, the numbers of Masons may not be that uh, great, but their fruit has spread throughout our society. They're bad fruit. All right. So to the listeners who are just tuning in, we're talking about uh, Freemasonry with Brother Charles Madden from Marytown. Um, let's let's just unpack it a little bit. What exactly is Freemason? It's a movement. Is that correct? It's a movement. It's a movement. Some Masons call themselves a religion and others say, no, it's not a religion. But it's based on naturalism. It's based on some elements of the ancient uh, pagan religions. Yes. Uh, it has a dual God system. It, it rejects uh, the scriptures. Yes. Uh, it rejects Jesus Christ as being true God and true man. It rejects the idea that God ever revealed anything to us, either orally or through scripture. Amazing. The, the book of scripture is nothing more than a, a human book. It's not divinely inspired. You find this in the writings of uh, prominent members of Masonry. A lot of Masons may not even realize that in the lower branches. It's more of a fraternal society to them. But when you get into studying the works of people like Albert Pike yes. in this country, who is, if you will, the George Washington of Masonry, I yes, call him, yes, in yes. this country, yes. uh, in his work, and he brings out, really, the rejection of Christ scriptures and the, and uh, Christianity in general a monothe uh, the monotheistic religions uh, Judaism is a monotheistic religion mm -hmm. but you have these this ancient pagan elements into it so it's a a multiplicity of errors in, in involved in it um, so there are roughly over six million Freemasons in the world I read two million of them in the United States yeah. and there's there's still shrouded in mystery the one thing that's public about the Masons is their member list and some of the most powerful people in the world were at one time part of the club and just curiously I I looked it up and I was astounded at some of the names of people who are Masons like for instance John Jacob Astor Gene Autry, Johann, Johann Bach, Irving Berlin, and then James Buchanan, Americans, Americans' 15th president, Randolph Churchill, and William Clark of Lewis and Clark, and even Davy Crockett. They were all Masons. Yeah, these people all... Masonry attended to attract the more educated people, those who had more yeah. money, things of that sort, and it was very prominent in our country uh, in the beginning. And that, of course, is a result because it was prominent over in England. Yes. And when England settled here in North America, yes. uh, the Masons had their influence. Uh, it's, uh, and in, even today, uh, into many of your towns and, and cities, the Masonic Lodges prominently in, in a prominent place in town, you know. I think there's even one in Libertyville. Oh, yeah. I don't know if it's still going or not. I'm, oh, okay. I'm not sure, but there used to be a lodge here. I know that. I'm not... Uh, but it's, it's always because it comes out of a certain 
sense of the loss of faith which followed the uh, Protestant revolt, the fracturing of Protestantism. Yes. Whereas in, in uh, England, it very heavily affected the Anglican Church. In Europe, it was the, uh, in France, Italy, Spain, for instance, those countries, it was very explicitly anti-Catholic. Yes. In England, there, wasn't, there weren't many Catholics there, so that wasn't too much of an issue there. But the roots of it, the roots of Masonry where you deny divine revelation, yeah. where you deny that Jesus Christ is true God and true man, and you uh, deny that, uh, that Christ founded a church. Yeah. So these are all elements which can be found in the Masonic writings. So it, it, it contradicts Orthodox Christianity. Basically, yes. And uh, the religious symbols of the Judaism and Christianity are both used. Mm -hmm. as, a, as a Lord, peop, people oh. join it, but uh, it's an outer shell of Christianity. They will use, the Bible is called, is what they call the furniture of the lodge. But it's primarily used uh, for men to swear their oaths on. Mm -hmm. You know, whether it's the, the Torah or the Bible, or for Muslims, it would be the Quran. So they're all the same. They they use the sacred books of your particular religion, I see. religion to get you to be more faithful to your vows. Wow. Now this is. And it's apparently a secret society. What does it mean by that? Well, it's secret in some ways. A lot of their rituals and things of that sort, they're really uh, not all that secret. Oh. But at the same time, I've had conversations with Masons, and when you begin to talk about their oath, their blood oath, they get very skittish about it. Uh -huh. And uh, most people don't realize that when uh, the Masons take their vows there the very first vow is on an, was on the Bible and and on it they swear uh, to bind themselves under a blood oath and let me see I've got the text here somewhere yeah using actual blood no it's it was called a blood oath because uh, of what is said uh, quoting binding myself under no less penalty than that of having my throat cut from ear to ear, my tongue torn out by, torn out by its roots and buried in the sands of the sea. And this is a real oath, sworn on the Bible or the Torah, yes, yes, yes. the Torah or the Koran. And it's, the, the point of it is, it's an act of blasphemy against Scripture. Yes. If you swear an oath like that, that's against all the tenets of Christianity. Of course. You know, and so it's an act of blasphemy. Mm -hmm. And yet they've been told beforehand, before they take this, so that nothing what they do or say will be against their religious beliefs. You know, it's, it's a contradiction there. I see that. And I think what happens with a lot of people, they're led through that phrase by phrase and they've got through the whole oath and maybe they're embarrassed by it. Mm-hmm. One of our presidents, for instance, uh, Lyndon Johnson, joined the Freemasons when he was a younger man in Texas. He went into the first degree, and he never went beyond that. Mm -hmm. And I often wondered whether he, perhaps he was turned off by that oath. Oh. But I don't know that. <coughs> yes. But 
she just did not go beyond the first degree. Yes, it'll be interesting to find out. Yeah, we'll yeah. never, we'll ne- probably, probably never know never that. Know. Yeah, and yet they portray themselves as being a little more than a social club, you know. Yeah, they do good works and things of that sort, uh, and uh, there is a certain fraternity which they develop, uh, but they they don't feel need of organized religion. Some mm-hmm. will say that uh, their Monday night meeting here, so say on a Monday night, is sufficient religion for them because they have a prayer. Yes, yes. It's a Christless prayer. Yes, yes, yes. No prayers are ever uttered in a Masonic lodge in the name of Christ as God or man. Yes. In fact, if you do that, your lodge will be shut down. That's happened on occasion. Your lodge will be shut down. Down. If, if uh, there was a, a man by the name of Jack Harris, his lodge, he was... Uh, and he had prayers to Christ in it, and they shut him down. Really? Yeah, he was forced to shut down. So you you cannot pray in the name of Christ in a lodge because, well, they say, well, we don't promote any religion. Yes, yes, yes. But the, really, the real thing is they don't want to acknowledge Christ as God. Of course God. not. Of course not. A lot of our Protestant brethren uh, recognizes very much, particularly the, the uh, rejection of Scripture. Right. And, and the divinity of Christ and and they uh, keep an eye out and they do much to warn their followers not to follow into Freemasonry. So that's a good note to take a break on and we're going to okay. pursue that when we come back. Thank you, Brother Charles. Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is blessed with the opportunity to participate with WSFI Catholic Radio in the new evangelization. Holy Family is your local resource for books, CDs, and DVDs from Catholic Answers, Ignatius Press, and all of the other fine publishers featured on Catholic Radio. Holy Family also has the area's largest selection of baptism, communion, and confirmation gifts. Holy Family Catholic Bookstore is located at 9249 Old Green Bay Road, Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin. More information is available on Facebook. Want an example of a false sense of security? How about relying on the life insurance you get through work to pay for all of your final expenses? Do you have plans to retire someday? Or do you plan on working for that company for the rest of your life? The fact is, you may lose your life insurance when you leave a company. I'm Matt Tomlinson from Catholic Financial Life, and I invite you to share your hopes and dreams with me. To discuss your options for protecting your family, call me at 847-548-MATT. That's 847-548-6288. Products and services not available in all states. Father John A. Jim Nicky, the spiritual advisor for WSFI Radio. I've uh, been involved with this from, from day one. It's a great opportunity to preach the good news uh, to 500,000 people in an area that, that just hasn't gotten uh, the message over the airwaves. Uh, we're really looking forward to share the faith uh, for each one of us to come closer and closer to God because of what Catholic Radio will bring to our area. WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio 
is committed to bringing quality Catholic programs to our local community. We only can do that with your financial support. Take a moment now to donate online at wsfiradio.org or mail your tax-deductible donation to WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. That's WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio, P.O. Box 885, Libertyville, Illinois 60048. Donations of any amount are greatly appreciated. Hello and welcome back to Healing the Whole Person. We're having a very lively discussion with Brother Charles Madden from Marytown, who is, has become quite an expert on Freemasonry. And we were delving into it kind of deeply. And you said some things, Brother Charles, that really um, alerted me here. One, that um, uh, someone was kicked out, kicked out of a lodge because uh, he was praying to Christ. And yeah. the other was that our Protestant brothers and sisters will not tolerate uh, Freemasons. They, they take steps to not allow them into their par- churches or whatever. Well, they, uh, what they do, oh, they alert their members. You yes, know. yes. There's no specifically prohibition. Okay. But they do uh, publish books and, and magazines and things that's that printing out the errors of Freemasonry. Do they really? Yes. Uh, Huntington Press in Louisiana comes to my mind right away as, as a publisher on excellent books uh, from the Protestant perspective regarding Freemasonry and the scriptures. That's one example. The reason I, I'm interested is because I think in our Catholic Church, not everyone is aware of the dangers of Freemasonry, and some people who go to, who are Catholics, uh, still feel that Freemasonry is acceptable, and and some people are even Freemasons that are in the Catholic Church. Right. Uh, a lot of that came about in the 60s and 70s when there was all kinds of confusion uh, about with post-Vatican II Council about ecumenical dialogue and things of that sort and there were some misunderstandings uh, uh, which grew within the church that it was now okay to be Freemasons but in 1983 when the new Code of Canon Law came out uh, Cardinal Ratzinger who later became Pope Benedict XVI issued a special decree clarifying the new Code of Canon Law in which he said you cannot be a Catholic and also be in the Freemasons. To do so is to deny yourself of Holy Communion. Yes. It's an act of, you are excommunicating yourself by that. And that has kind of gotten lost over the years. Uh, But it was very clear. And then our bishops followed through on that in 1985. They followed up and they did a thorough report examining Freemasonry and bringing out the various errors it proposed. And uh, there's different ways in which people sometimes get caught into Freemasonry. And they also applied a, a way of getting out of Freemasonry for people that had been involved involved in it. And among other things, uh, they proposed what a, what a Catholic who's involved with Freemasonry realizes that he shouldn't be in it, what does he have to do? Right, that's a good question. Well, uh, the very first thing, they should become passive members, no longer attending lodge meetings or other Masonic activities. Mm -hmm. 
they should see their Catholic priest. Concerning other requirements, uh, seeking, of course, absolution in the sacrament of penance. They should also send a letter of demit to their local lodge. That formal letter is not necessarily required by the church, but it certainly helps to make the, uh, the break with Freemasonry complete. Uh, there is a special indult in the United States because of the influence of Freemasonry where Catholics may lose their means of supporting their family. So in 1911, the Holy See said, as long as you uh, go to confession, uh, become passive and do not actively support Freemasonry, mm-hmm. you do not necessarily have to formally resign. Mm-hmm. As long as there's no scandal in it. Yes. Now, for instance, I'll give you an example where the scandal would involve uh, there was a gentleman I knew of indirectly who had become a convert to the church, and about 10 years later, he wanted to become a permanent deacon. Mm-hmm. Well, in the course of going through the process it came up that he had been a member of the Freemasons and was still in the Freemasons and he explained well his priest his parish priest told him well it's okay today it's just a fraternal society and uh, when that went down to Chicago they said no you cannot be a Mason and be a deacon right you have he would have to quit the Freemasons yes yes which he did you know but it was an innocent mistake on his part Mm -hmm. based on inaccurate advice yes yes because uh, of the confusion that sometimes existed uh, people do need to uh, and this is especially true in parishes where you're dealing with RCIA mm-hmm. and things of that you're bringing people into the church they're masons you need to make sure that they understand that you can no longer be a Freemason and be a Roman Catholic they're in direct contradiction to each other. That's right. And that's because of their basic beliefs, which a lot of Masons don't pay that much attention to. They don't read right. some of their own uh, works of the right. Freemasons. Right. Things like that. But, but there, a break has to be made. There, there, it, the, um, I'm interested in, there's all kinds of levels that you would, you would go through in Freemasonry. Right. There are degrees, what degrees. they call. Degrees, yes. Most Masons, about two-thirds of them, never go beyond the first three degrees, which are called the Blue Lodge uh, degrees. Right. And this is something very interesting, which Albert Pike, who was, if I call him, if you will, the George Washington of American Freemasonry, what he said about the first three degrees of Masonry. Deception is part of the Masonic uh, way of life. And this is what he said. The blue, li- the blue degrees, which are the first three degrees, are but the outer court or portico of the temple. Part of the symbols are displayed there to the initiate, but he is intentionally misled by false interpretations. It is not intended that he shall understand them, but it is intended that he shall imagine he understands them. Their true explication is reserved for the adepts, the princes of masonry. It is well enough for those uh, mass of those called masons to imagine that all is claim contained in the blue degrees. So their own religion is is con- deceiving them. It's a certain sense there is a deception there, and that came, comes out on another occasion. Uh, 
1889, Albert Pike lived until 1891, uh, the French were celebrating the 100th anniversary of the French Revolution. And he wrote a letter uh, to the French Masons on the occasion of this 100th anniversary. And this is what he said to them. That which we must say to the crowd is, we worship a God, but it is not a God, the God that one adores without superstition. This is, it's interesting. To you, Sovereign Grand Inspectors General, we say this, that you may repeat it to the brethren of the 32nd, 31st, and 30th degrees. The Masonic religion should be, by all of us initiates of the higher degrees, maintained in the purity of the Luciferian doctrine. Mm -hmm. And he goes on to say this, If Lucifer were not God, would Adonai, the God of the Christians, whose deeds, whose deeds prove his cruelty, perfidy, and hatred of man, barbarism, and repulsion for science, would Adonai and his priests calumniate him? Yes, Lucifer is God, and unfortunately, Adonai is also God. And then he goes on to say, the true and pure philosophical religion is the belief in Lucifer, the equal of Adonai. But Lucifer, God of light and good of and God of good, is struggling for humanity against Adonai, the God of darkness and evil. End quote. So they're calling the Christian God the evil God. Yeah, so they have two gods. And Lucifer is the good God. Yeah. Now where in God's name did that come from? Well, uh, there's elements of that which go all the there's various heresies throughout uh, the last two thousand years. Oh, okay. Where all uh, these kind of uh, this kind of thinking goes on, yeah, uh, I think you probably find elements of it in the Manichaean heresy oh, and things yes. of that sort. Yes. Uh, so that's somehow or other that current of thought is still kept alive, and obviously, Albert Pike is one of the chief masons of the United States in the eight in the nineteenth uh, century. Yes. Uh, purely, uh, uh, clearly, uh, promoted this doctrine, but he kept it. To the higher degrees. I see. Remember that earlier segment, which I just the I people just in the first about. degrees were all confused. It's, yeah, <laughs> they, they they can be deceived. We don't yeah. have to tell them everything. Man, you know, so there's an act of deception there. Yes, um, to their own. Among their own. Among yeah. their own. Among their own. So, in order to progress in in Freemasonry, what do you have to do? Do you have to well, earn it, or? Well, they are. A, a, they have a series of degrees, and there's from various points like from the fourth to the fourth to the fourth degree they do the degrees all at one time and make their oaths and then later on they do some more uh, mm -hmm. uh, but when you get up to the uh, the high degrees the, tr the 30th the 31st 32nd mm -hmm. uh, that's where it becomes more explicit yeah uh, now let me go into something else now this is in the uh, and by the way, most Shriners, you know, the little guys in the in the funny hats that ride them in yes, the parade, yes, yes. you know, <laughs> the, the Shriners, they do a lot of good public works. Yes, I knew that. Charitable works. Yes. On the natural level. But uh, they, in order to become uh, a Shriner, you have to go through the 30th, 31st, and 32nd. Now, they've mitigated that in recent years because... They want to get more people. Mm -hmm. But in order to become a 30th degree Kadosh uh, on the Mason Rite, uh, among other things, this is a Scottish ritual. Uh, and this book was uh, 
back in the 1880s, and then I've seen something similar from uh, a Texas lodge in the in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Oh, the candidate for Knight Kadosh is brought before a platform, in which there are less, in which there are three skulls. Quote: The one on the left is surmounted by a pope's triple ki- tri- uh, crown or triara. Immediately after the taking of the first four oaths of the degree, the candidate, following the example and instruction of the Grand Master, Thrice Pusant Grand Master, stabs the crown, uh, the skull crown of the Pope's crown, and says, Down with imposture, down with, in- with crime. Mm-hmm. And what you have to realize that whenever this word imposture is used, it always refers to the Pope's role as Vicar of Christ. Incredible. There is another ceremony. It's also performed on a skull, on a, a skull wearing a, uh, a king's crown. Uh, for instance, a this funeral urn, uh, urn is placed on the mo- mausoleum, to the right of which is a regal crown, on the left a popish tiara. Elsewhere is an altar containing a human skull inlaid with silver a decanter of red wine, and a loaf of white bread. Later, after a fourth oath is taken, to which imposture is denounced, again, that we always refer Christ as vicar vicar of Christ, those present drink wine from the the skull and and eat the bread. Afterwards, the candidate is instructed by the thrice puissant Grand Master, I love these titles, (laughs) concerning the papal tiara. This, quote, this represents the tiara of the cruel and cowardly pontiff who sacrificed to his ambition the illustrious order of those Knights Templar of whom we are the true successors. A crown of gold and precious stone ill befits the humble head of one who pretends to be successor, the vicar of Jesus of Nazareth. It is therefore the crown of an impostor. And it is in the name of him who said, Neither ye be ye called masters, that we trample it under our feet. Following this instruction, the papal tiara is thrown to the floor, and all present trample it underfoot while shouting, Down with imposture. So this gives you an idea, and I, I, I can't imagine why a Catholic would go through that ceremony. That's some and, deal. And, do you, and imagine that they're even drinking wine and taking bread. Bread, it's what it is. Those are the elements of the Eucharist. Of course. You know, uh, so there's uh, Reverend Jim Shaw, who was in the Masons in Florida quite a few years ago. He's He has since died. Uh, he describes their Thursday, their Maundy Thursday uh, celebration, Holy Thursday celebration, and it's a very dark and sad ceremony, mm. but they do have a... Uh, an element of again bread and wine yes. being consumed. Yes, you know, so it's uh, there's a certain mockery of Christian uh, prayer, and again, like I said, the scriptures are used, but never in a way which would proclaim Christ's divinity. Yes, yes, of course not. You know, this really um, is is very hurtful to even listen to it. It's evil. It's evil, and yeah. for 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 everybody listening, I hope that 
we are all becoming more aware that we just cannot tolerate this as Catholics and, yeah. or accept it in any form. And so, Brother Charles, what do you say to us now? I know the Protestant churches are doing a fair amount to make their uh, congregations aware. What can Catholics be doing now? Well, I think one of the best things, uh, it has never been promulgated well, but our bishops in 1985 issued a very good study, uh, and it was entitled, uh, let me... Uh, While he's looking... We, he, uh, he, here it is. Uh, there's two, two things. One is a statement of the United States Bishops Committee for Pastoral Research released in April of 1985, which gives the history of masonry and what it, and what it uh, proposes, what it teaches, and the various problems uh, regarding it. And then uh, along with that, they had uh, Professor, Professor William Whalen, uh, he prepared a report for the Bishop's Committee for Pastoral Research, released along with the committee's own statement, which gives a more detailed understanding of Freemasonry right. and the history of it and things of that sort. And these two documents are something that sh which should, should be in every parish uh, church. They should have them on hand so that when they have people who want to come into the church sure. uh, they should be alerted to this. They should be alerted to it this. and present this material to prospective converts who Perhaps are we should all be aware that I don't remember yeah. reading anything like this yeah. in our in, yep. in our it was it was issued and sent out, but I don't think there was any follow up to it. Right. And that's what uh, sometimes priests erroneously tell people, well, it's okay to be a Freemason because yes. they they don't have the information or it's never been uh, so these documents uh, must be still available. Yes, the U.S. The U.S. Uh, CCB would have these yes, documents. Yes, yes, you know. yes. So I think um, I'm, I'm. The date of it is April nineteenth, nineteen eighty-five, and it's the statement of the bishops, U.S. Bishops Committee for Pastoral Research and Practices, both the. The official bishop's statement and Professor Whalen's report were issued at the same time, and, and they can be had from uh, the U.S. Of course, CCB. we could. And I, you know what, my pastor is Monsignor Dempsey at St. Patrick's. Oh, I know him. I think I'm going to mention yeah. this to him and ask him his thoughts about this, about yeah. promulgating this again. And our, for our listeners, we're looking at a red book here, and it's called Freemasonry: Mankind's Hidden Enemy, and it's by br Brother Charles Madden. OFM Conventual. I know you can get it at Marytown, and you can probably get it um, where else? Uh, well, Tan Books was now oh, tan. by uh, St. Benedict Press. St. Benedict Press. In North Carolina. All right. Yeah, so it's a wonderful book. It's a small book, but it's packed with information. I learned so much reading this book. Um, and you are just a wealth of information. One thing I wanted to ask you, we only have three and a half minutes left. Okay. Um, the um, it says I read somewhere that mat uh, masonry is patronizing to women. When a man is initiated into the craft, he has to remove his wedding ring if he has one, because women cannot be masons. Is right. that correct? Yeah, they have women auxiliary groups and things of that sort. Yeah, mm -hmm. but they are not. It's strictly an all male organization. Yes, yes. yes. 
so uh, some so we we still are under the mistaken conclusion um, that masonry um, you know it, masonry is it can be acceptable and I don't think that's the case at yeah. all one thing I'd like to point out uh, one part of masonry is the Shriners they're kind of like yes the fun guys of yes, yes, you yes. see them in the parades yes and they do a very good natural work yes natural charity of helping out crippled children they do and the hospitals that they support yes. do tremendous good. And we see those ads on television yeah, with that so little boy with the blanket and blanket, all. Blanket, yeah. The thing of it is to remember people who have some money who've been benefited from that hospital, from, you know, well, I want to support the Shriners because they look sure. what they did for my nephew. Sure. I say this. Support the hospital where your relative or friends yes. or brother or whoever yes. received the help. Put the money directly to that particular hospital. Don't send it in through the Shriners organization. Send it directly to That's a wonderful the hospital. Idea. Because some people are really conflicted with that. Yes. They say, oh, what, what, look at the good they did for my family. Yes, that's uh, very good advice there. So send it to the hospital. The send particular hospital where your uh, beloved one got the help that they needed. We have a minute and a half left, Brother Charles. You've been just wonderful. I've enjoyed every minute of this conversation. I learned a lot. Um, we have prayer requests. We, we only have one uh, email request, but I'm going to ask you to pray for that person. But also then would you pray for all our listeners that we have a healing in our church you know, to, to become aware of the dangers of Freemasonry and to stop it mm. where we find it. Yeah. And so I would like to ask, an anonymous has asked for prayers for Justin, who has lost his job undeservingly. Please pray that his appeal is heard and he can return to work. So, Brother Charles, could you pray for Justin and then in less than a minute pray for all our listeners that we become more super aware and of the healing that we need. Let's put this all into one prayer to Our Lady. Remember, O, o most, most gracious, gracious Virgin, Virgin Mary, Mary, that, that never, never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thy intercession, was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly unto thee, O Virgin of virgins, my mother, to thee I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful, O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy, hear and answer me. Amen. And also we pray to St. Justin, for Justin for his petition. How beautiful. Thank you, Brother Charles. You've been wonderful. Thank you. Glad to be here. Wow. You have been listening to Healing the Whole Person on WSFI 88.5 FM Catholic Radio. For more information about this program or to purchase additional CD copies, please call us at 224-206-8455. That's 224-206-8455. Or visit us online at wsfiradio.org. Your faith has made you.